When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it's Tim Heidecker, and you're listening to the LSQ Podcast. Chances are you're already familiar with the genius of Tim Heidecker as a comedian, actor, writer, and director. But if you haven't been paying close attention to his career during the past decade or so, you might have missed that he's also devoted quite a bit of time and passion to making music, and he's also quite good at it. For instance, last year, he released an excellent LP called What the Broken Hearted Do that was produced by his longtime collaborator, Foxygen's Jonathan Rado. And I heard he was recording some stuff with Wiseblood as well, so I thought, hmm, I wonder if maybe he'd be up for talking about his music interests on the LSQ podcast. Turns out he was. I'm Jenny LSQ, by the way. Welcome to episode 45. Originally, Tim and I were going to meet up and, and do the interview in person in mid-March, right after he finished a Tim and Eric tour and before he was going to start traveling to do promo for his new Adult Swim series, Beef House. Uh, But then the very week we were supposed to meet up is when quarantine began here in L.A., so we had to postpone and do a Zoom sesh instead. And so, yeah, that's where we begin in this conversation is, uh, is talking about how it all hit the week we were originally supposed to meet. So let's dig in. Yeah, we were set to do like the big late night shows and then we internally made the decision not to go, which was, I remember literally the night before Eric and I texting and he's like, do you think we're really going to go do those shows? And I was like, geez, things would have to get really bad for that to cancel, you know, and by the next day it was done. So it was like, it really happened that just to think the night before it didn't seem possible for me that it was going to be bad enough that we had to blow off these big press opportunities also you just literally got back from tour like fucking a week before that or something because i saw that show at the ace what was that was that the last show of the yeah it was it was the last show of the tour and yeah we that's what i I was telling you earlier that i feel so lucky and grateful that we managed to squeeze like you know a good good amount of work in before this came came down the pike so there was, I think, like the last week of the tour, there was a lot of concern and talk amongst on the news and amongst us about, you know, are we washing our hands and uh, should we be doing these shows? And it was just starting. But, you know, I think San Francisco was the second to last stop. And that was the show where we were like, um, it was very conscious to us that that we are getting through this on this by the skin of our teeth. Yeah, no, I remember in the first couple of weeks thinking, well, the last time I was in a big crowd was at the Tim and Eric show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's nice you were there. I, I uh, sorry, I didn't say. Hello. I was like, how many days has it been since the Tim and Eric show? Have I been called? <laughs> and of course, there's the the ending of that show. Felt it must have seemed very crazy too. We had written this whole last act of the show, which was this <laughs> yeah. medical. 
there was like a medical play that went went back went uh, sour and my character got this disease called Pork's disease and it was released into the audience and we had to seal the the theater so we couldn't cont- it was like the CDC got involved and, and it was like all these things that seemed so uh you know like we were just writing it that day or something but we had written the show like last year in the fall of last year so it was um it was very strange you know the last few shows i think it got kind of squirmy for people people are like this is too close to home right now i mean i felt a little squirmy in that moment because i was i was sat between stranger like i went i went stag and i was sat between strangers who I got to tell you, Tim, were living their best life. I mean, <laughs> the people, they were the level of freaking out that they were doing That's amongst awesome. themselves. And I was just like r- truly in the very middle of the of, of the venue in the orchestra. <laughs> um, but yeah, the we're locking you in because we all have Pork's disease now moment. I was just yeah. like, oh, God, this is too apt. Yeah, I did a line. I did like one when I came out towards the end. I said like, you know, this we, we I usually would say this line. I would say the CDC has been informed but they told us we're not a that uh we're not a high priority because of the kind of comedy we do and it would always get a laugh and then one night i said towards the end i said uh because they're dealing with something else right now and the whole and it got like a groan it just got like a you know so <laughs> don't remind us of the real world yeah, yeah exactly um, but as much as uh, as much as I do want to know more about that, I also want to avail myself of this time with you to talk about music shit. Yes, because music I, shit, music shit, because <laughs> that's what I like to talk about the best. But also because I mean, obviously, you know, a, a passing fan of yours is likely to be familiar with the comedy stuff, and it's probably news to them that there is a equally robust or you know robust. For many yeah. years, as long as you've been doing comedy, you've been doing music and mm-hmm. have some cool stuff not yet out as well that um, yes. that music fans should be aware of. So I want to talk about those more recent things, but also just like how you got started playing guitar and what music you were into it as a kid and shit. But um, but yeah, how did like tell me a bit about how like how did the Jonathan Rado connection happen and and kind of the place you've ended up? on Secretly Canadian and working yeah. with Wise Blood on this project. I'd love to hear a bit about that. But yeah, tell me about these more recent kind of explorations. Yeah, yeah I um I met Chris Swanson through the uh through the movie The Comedy. He hit the, the Jag Jaguar or Secretly Canadian, whatever you want to call it. They funded that movie, so I I got to know those guys a little bit and Chris and I would kind of talk music and talk about my musical side i had put out some some sort of soft rock odes or parody records with my musical partner davin wood and you know they were well produced sort of 70s singer songwriter kind of stuff that really was it was like really one foot in the comedy uh, pool and one foot not some of them and and you know they're they're fun exercises in like trying to in style you know but not really you know a, i wouldn't i don't know where you'd put it in the music category but or in the record store files like is it comedy or what but chris liked my songs and liked like like the you know the kind of music i was making and he was we we're just kind of talking like you should be working with somebody that really knows this kind of music and if you ever wanted to take it more seriously 
this kid, Jonathan Rado, is the guy to work with. And um, we met and hit it off, you know, very quickly, just talking about our love of, um, you know, Harry Nilsson and um, Fleetwood Mac, uh, Warren Zevon, you know, he knew... He knew everything about the, those records. He loved those records. Randy Newman, the band, you know, obviously the Beatles. and But um, so, yeah, we just said let's – he was looking – I think it was one of those matchmaker things where uh, Rado was looking to produce other people, you know, and figure out instead of just being in Foxygen um, and making that music, he wanted to branch out. And he was a fan of mine and um, of my comedy and – and so, yeah, we just got together and worked on some stuff at his place. And he had this great setup in his garage, which was, um, you know, an actual tape machine and a mi- an actual mixing board and instruments. And there really wasn't a computer around. And what I had worked really all up to this point musically, I'd just been doing stuff in Logic with MIDI sounds and with, you know, cheap microphones and um, mostly building stuff like in in a lot in a logic project or in a pro tools project you know um, and rado had this like old kind of like a you know pre-computer kind of setup which was f- so fun and we would pl- we would track stuff together try to do as much things lot you know as many uh, things in this at the same time um, and he's just a great uh, drummer he's a great bass player I mean, he's just a great musician and he can jump around to all those different things so um yeah so we started working we had a, we we kind of did a few demos and then uh he went off to he had to do something i had to do something and uh i ended up making in glendale without him but we used the, sort of the demos and the sessions we did together as kind of a guide a guide for how to do the record with some players and then it came time to do another record, and th- he was available, and we did my uh, Broken Hearted, uh, What the Broken Hearted Do record together. The way I always dreamed of making a record, which is with some very talented people in the room, in a studio, pl- uh, recording to tape, and it took us about a week, you know, and it was not this painstaking, uh, tracking one thing at a time kind of deal. And then, you know, the wise blood thing's a whole other story, but we can. Yeah, we'll get to, we'll, we can get to that, too. Yeah. I'm intrigued, though, obviously, the appeal of, you know, and Rado's obviously, like, a cool guy. I mean, he's a weirdo. <laughs> you meet him, he's got, mm-hmm. he, you're like, oh, yeah, you know, you've got the authentic weirdo thing. I can, I yeah. can tell you're legit. And then to know the references and have the gear, uh, creating those sounds is like, if you've got the right gear, you can do it. Um, mm-hmm. So that's appealing, but but also I'm wondering if at that point you started to begin to see the possibility to release music that was more serious in a way. Um, yeah, it, it 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 kind of happened at the same time. I was um, the in Glendale record. I had um, we my wife and I had a baby, or she had the baby. I I was there along for the ride. <laughs> Um, I'm the biological father, but she definitely had the baby. And we moved into kind of a big boy house, you know, like like an adult house. We were kind of living in, in a little hipster, you know, Spanish little small house. And we, we moved into sort of the suburbs of L.A., Glendale, and 
I was doing a lot of housework and I was, you know, taking care of this new child. And, and, and so when I would, when I would sit in my garage and write music, I was writing about those things. And I always said with the Heidecker and Wood stuff and all the comedy music, a lot of, I love, I've always made music. I've, I was had high school bands. I had bands in college and almost, you know, what you, you, when you're in high school, you write really adult sounding sappy, um, very self-important, uh, music, you know, and then you get a little older and you feel really embarrassed by that. And for me, at least I kind of, uh, turned it turned as all my musical interests into you know ways to express myself comedically because I didn't feel like I had very much to offer from my own personal life that would be of any interest you know or I, that I cared to share um, and you know with with Tim and Eric stuff we were kind of building a uh, you know an identity and I didn't want to mess with that too much and wanted to keep it kind of mysterious and 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 so it, by the time I you know whenever 2013 I guess it was I had felt like I had done I'd I'd earned enough kind of capital with my audience and and I'd done enough different things that I think people could separate me into different categories and not be too confused or that if there was confusion that would be kind of interesting too so it was a bunch of things that like, okay, I have things to say about my life that are, are kind of interesting and maybe interesting to other people. And I feel like I've done, you know, I've been around long enough that I could try try this out. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm interested to hear about your songwriting process kind of generally or, or whether it's changed since you started writing songs. Because I imagine it's hard to resist the urge to be funny when you think of a funny idea, you know, even if you're wanting mm -hmm. to make it different from comedy. Well, I think even in all my so-called serious music, there's a lot of humor running through it. And I think I also, there's a liberating feeling when I, and this is only like, you know, 10 years ago that I, I really got into and obsessed with Randy Newman and uh, Warren Zevon, kind of at the same time, and realized that they could do a, they could do both of those things, and a lot of folk folk you know artists could do that too. And it, you know, the, a lot of I think uh, my favorite songwriters can add humor and 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 you know plays on play on words and um, all that kind of stuff. And it's and it's okay, you know, like it, that's that's part of the deal. It doesn't have to be super serious necessarily. So I think my songs have jokes in them or references or you know, um, the difference is that it's not a joke that it exists, <laughs> you know. Um, but I'm always looking to be to say, to make an interesting rhyme or make something, you know. It's, fairly clever or you know um not take it too seriously how does the time that you devote to what feels explicitly like songwriting differ from the time you devote to writing comedy i mean how does it look different or is it a different space that you go to mm. um i think songwriting is is very solitary for me and it's a very personal meditative -y kind of experience it's not a collaborative 
let's start the writing of it, the songwriting. Obviously, the turning it into a, a produced piece of music is very collaborative. But the you know sitting with the with a guitar or at the piano is just is just me, and it's a, it's very private. Um, comedy is much more collaborative, and and um, I you know there's some comedy I do, or the you know the beginning of an idea comes from one brain it doesn't come simultaneously from me and a partner it's just you know oh i got something write it down uh make a note make a voice memo whatever and then talk about it in a room or on the phone or on a instant message with somebody and that becomes like a dialogue and a conversation um music yeah is much more uh private Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess, yeah, comedy is like the jam session or something. And, yeah. uh, but it's... yeah, people have wanted to, like, there's some people that have reached out about, like, collab or sitting down to write music together. And I just don't find that appealing. I mean, there's, there's something where I'm sort of limited musically. Um, and I, I would, I would like, I sometimes I'll, I'll take a song to a certain point and then go, okay, I would like to now work with a, somebody else to mix it up a little bit or, or add some some uh chords you know <laughs> like what, right but that's what, that's sort of what rado did for what the broken hearted do right he had yeah. more of that role exactly yeah he i'll play him a song and that and it's often it's you know four chords or something it's not the most sophisticated thing and he'll go well try going up to a you know an augmented sus six or something <laughs> you know whatever it is you know or yeah, yeah, it's that kind of relationship that I love and require for to make anything serious. When did you first start to write songs or even just to play an instrument? Oh, I mean, uh, probably 13 or 14 years old, I think. I am preparing a uh for my office hours podcast a we're, we're we've all decided to release some cringy material from our high school days and i have i have some demos and you know they're they're not terrible i have to say they're they're i was very much into the beatles and you know in the 90s there was a lot of i think there was a lot of beatlesque kind of pop folky poppy kind of songs on the radio and kind of alternative like you know a name that pops my head is probably so many better examples but like something like toad the wet sprocket oh yeah Everyone started to get kind of yeah. a little Sergeant Peppers in the I mean, mix. More than, what about that uh, more than words? Oh, my God. That, uh, <laughs> that's that's very much – was that extreme? Ex- that is extreme. Nuno Betancourt with the long, yeah. luscious locks of heavy metal thunder. That's basically like um, like uh, If I Fell by the Beatles. Um, One of my favorite kind of, songs of yeah. high school years is yeah. More Than Words by Extreme. What about the song Mr. Big? That band Mr. Big, they had, I'm the one who wants to be oh, with yeah. you. And even like some of the more niche stuff like Grantley Buffalo, Mockingbird. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was a great, as a kid, uh, you know, we're around the same age, I was discovering yeah. the Beatles and stuff that sounded like that was. But what about like, the band Jellyfish? Do you remember the band yes! Jellyfish? I was obsessed with Jellyfish. Yes. Um, and I went back and listened recently, and, you know, it doesn't quite sound as authentic as I thought it would sound, but it's still cool. Very cool. 
But was yeah. that was that your vibe or were you I don't know, I guess I get a sense that you in high school years were more of the like you were into the big rock stuff, the the kind of commercial stuff. No, no, I was a Beatles I was a Beatles nerd beyond belief. Um embarrassing. I mean, I loved uh I was trying to think of who would be like second in my list. I loved Elvis Costello in high school. I was a big Elvis Costello fan. I think lyrically still like very influential or very like still one of the greats of uh, packing stuff in, packing ideas in. But when um, you at that point picked up a guitar or had an urge to play a guitar, uh-huh. were you, did you see yourself at all having a glimmer of, oh, I could be one of those people? Yeah, we, we made a go of it. I mean, my, the, the stuff in my, in Allentown, Pennsylvania, where I grew up, 90% of the kids that were interested in music were into hardcore, I would think, like hardcore metal. Um, and then there were like, you know, band geeks and stuff. But um, we we had a couple bands that very Beatlesque, very folky, um, some, some bands that were kind of comedy based. Um, and were you and- the singer? I was mostly the singer. I sang, sang and played acoustic guitar or one band I played bass. Um, we were very bad. I mean, I do remember like in high school, in like senior year, like going to the bookstore and buying the book of like how to how to tour or how to, you know, how to uh, yeah. send your how to get a how to get a record label, those kind of books, you know, <laughs> and just nothing ever came of it. Yeah. You know, we did. We made a demo and. I didn't didn't really didn't pursue it really. And when and like where does it overlap with when you started kind of doing comedy or or finding ways to do the the kid version of comedy? Yeah, well, I kind of put music I think I just kind of stopped playing music. I I don't recall. It's funny, I'm thinking about this now. I went to I was also involved in theater and I was involved in um well, basically just theater. I mean, I was going to say film, but I wasn't involved in film at all. I was just, I went to film school and I didn't bring a guitar with me to college. You know, I was just, I'm just kind of thinking that I don't think I really had a guitar for a few years in college. So I didn't really play much music and I didn't, I mean, I listened to a lot of music, but I didn't, there was no, nobody to really play with. And, um, I was just focused on, um, you know, I was in the film program and, and I I decided I wasn't going to be an an actor. I wasn't going to be a musician. I was going to tr- make movies or try to make movies, and maybe I could be in them, and maybe I could, you know, kind of the Woody Allen model or something, or Albert Brooks or something. Those are people I admired back then. Right. <laughs> so, but all, but all the while you were still um, playing music, even through college and stuff like that. You started playing music again when you when you met some kindred spirits yeah i think a couple of people i mean eric wareheim who i met in college freshman year of college he was also playing a lot of music he was he was in a lot of hardcore bands and like straight edge and emo like that kind of that scene which i wasn't into but i liked those guys and and eric was a big gearhead. he had a lot of cool guitars and um, amps and all this stuff so we we started a band called the Tim Heidecker Masterpiece, which was kind of like a Spinal Tap party band that we would 
we made up these ridiculous little rock operas and um, would perform them at like house parties that we would have. So I started, I guess I started playing music again through that, through that format. And, and then he had, he had a band and I got, I was in his band playing keyboards. It was kind of this um, kind of electro pop group in Philly. that was very kind of emo and I was playing like a Moog, uh, <laughs> to, you know, it was very, I mean, there's some pictures and I don't know. There's, there must be some videos of that. I, that would be, that might be more embarrassing than the high school stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, and then obviously like in the early years of Tim and Eric, uh, there were music, plenty of opportunities to make music just for the shows. At that yeah. point, did it start to feel like, well, that's, this is my musical outlet too. I mean, obviously you have wood in there with the, with yeah. doing the main songwriting and stuff like that. Yeah, I remember Davin. You know, I would I would make songs. I made a lot of the the Casey and his brother songs on my computer because I got you know sort of get the Garage Band going and you get the you plug the MIDI keyboard in there and suddenly you've got it was like a big deal I think in the early two thousands where suddenly it became pretty easy to make something that really just started ended up on TV very quickly. You know, like so like I could go in and record a song and. I did a little bit of that, and then Davin was better at it. Davin Wood was was better at it. He was more professional about it, so we could collaborate. I could send him demos, and then he would flesh them out. And there was this one day, one night at our at my house, he came over because we were going to work on a song for Awesome Show that was going to be a, a, a sort of a love song between Carol and Miss Miss Mr. Henderson, one of our char- two of our characters, and we sort of came up with this song that really sounded like uh the band and i had a piano in my house an old big old noisy piano and we we recorded it uh with mics instead of doing the midi thing we recorded it and felt the room and had this song and we were like this sounds fucking good and it does not feel like it belongs in our tv show you know it does not feel like an awesome show kind of so it feels like it feels like it's uh, something off of music from Big Pink, you know. And um, so we said, let's do more of this. We should just make up, you know, we should do our own kind of music that's not for the show. And that kind of got us recording together and got me really interested in home recording. And I think when you're learning home recording, you have to record something. And so I would write little songs. And um, the more sophisticated I got at recording, the more sophisticated, I, I you know, kind of my songwriting moved along uh, together with that in parallel with that i mean nowadays for a show like the show i like the tim and eric show i just saw like how what of those songs how much of that writing are you doing um i did a lot of that writing and again we worked with this other music guy named nick Lutzko, who's really talented and i would do a demo and it would be a, a demo that is pretty much the song it just it's just me and a piano and a you know a click track or a drum drum machine um and i would send it to him and but the the bone you know the structure of the song is there the melody and the chords and the lyrics are pretty much there and then you know he would make it sound great so i mean it's uh, you you're very good at writing catchy songs i have to say Thank like you. <laughs> um and it's interesting as like watching song ideas evolve in office hours moments or whatever versus uh-huh. seeing a a completed song in a show 
you know, it's the same, it has the same quality where it's like, oh yeah, it's like figuring out what is it that makes that kind of a song good and then doing uh, a a funny tweaked, you know, version of it. But it's like once the momentum starts building toward, oh yeah, that's how that kind of song goes, it feels like it almost writes itself in a way, which is something that like not that not everyone could even listening to like the Bob Dylan ish songs that you've done where it's like, fuck yeah. that. I wish that was a Bob Dylan song. Right. Like, I can't believe Brick by Brick isn't somebody's hit. Like, right. it's, nice. sho- it's kind of shocking, you know? Yeah. I mean, well, I would imagine that a good song to you when you're like, this song is good, I think it must feel sort of similar to a good joke where you're like, how is this not already a joke? That's fucked up. Yes, for sure. I mean, it's funny. I was, I appreciate those kind words. Um, I generally think, you know, I'm limited in my, like I said, you know, sort of limited uh, in my skills as a musician. And that, I think that dovetails with the fact that catchy songs are kind of simple songs, you know, and they are essentially nursery rhymes or, you know, sing-alongs that kids would pick up on. So, I think that's why some of them work that way. I mean, I was when Dylan came out with his uh, whatever it was, seventeen minute murder JFK most foul. Song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I picked up my guitar and was like, I got to do the. I, w- I, I was thought about it for a little bit because I had done the t- Titanic thing uh, w- a few years back where I tried to do a Dylan. I did a Dylan so- style song about the Titanic because I heard he was doing it. Um, but I wrote, I started working on that one that was like about the Reagan assassination. And I, and I, but I stopped because I was like, this doesn't, I, I, there's certain things about Dylan that seem obvious and seem easy, but that aren't, that are actually really, mm. really complicated maybe. And as I was kind of doing it, I was like, eh, I'm just basically doing what I already did. And that, and I couldn't find a different way of doing it that sounded right. It, so I stopped doing it. But, um, you know, the, yeah, I, I, I keep trying to learn. Like, you know, I spent like the first half of the, uh, of the uh, quarantine trying to learn American Tune by Paul Simon. You know that song by Paul Simon? I don't uh, know if I many do. Many other times they've been forsaken. And many times reveal, because um, I just was. I love that song, and I just was like, "How is he? What is he doing?" You know. And I still don't know it, but, but I'm. You know, I like learning. I, that's a good way of learning is try to. You know, what is? How does Paul Simon structure a song, or how does Bob Dylan make something that sounds very easy, actually, you know, something that's actually very difficult sounds so easy and so obvious i mean um, that murder most foul song is so fucking good yeah i I'm, i you know i i listened to it i went i kind of went to sleep to it or or like went into like a trance from it and i did like it but sometimes there's part of me that goes what are you he's so weird isn't he like just the weird he's so genuinely weird that i love it but you know he's some of his rhyme some of his you know <laughs> It's just like, what do you, what, how much, how much is this, how much of this is you fucking with us is kind of what I want to know. 
one might ask the same of you of me yes sir. exactly well, i mean yeah it's my... just like how do you why do you how uh, you think about all verse after verse of that song you know just when i thought i was like had i was like yeah we get it this song is breathtaking moving on like there would be another couplet that would destroy me but also like how do you edit yourself when you're when you're dropping stuff like that like which verse do you take out you know? yeah it's... and like i want to know so many things like did they do another take of that is that are there <laughs> Like, what is the process? I want to know. I want to know everything. I I um, also want to know everything, but I, I also <laughs> prefer to just fill in the spaces myself. Yeah. And so, are you? Do you do you tend to just write song? I mean, are songs kind of you know? Do you write songs regularly, even when you don't have a specific project in mind? I've been, I've just I'm trying to think of my recent. I've been so this quarantine has really screwed up my process. I think because I'm I'm sort of helping out around the house with the kids more way more than. I usually am because they're home and, um, yeah, I did, I did write a quarantine song right away, like right away that was fun and felt like it was a nice mix of kind of funny and sad and I guess I just mean generally too, like during the, yeah, during the, like where you're just like, oh, here's a song idea. I guess I should jot that down. Yeah. I think they come in, they, I've heard other people talk about this, that they, they come in like clumps or they come in big like there'll be like a period where I write a lot and then I won't write at all for a while. Um, it helps to have a project. It helps to have like, you know, if I, this new record that I'm just finishing up, it, I had a few songs, five songs. Some, sometimes you go to a folder that I have that's been, could be five or six years old that I go, this was always something I wanted to finish and I'd never did. And now I have an, now I need a song. So let me see if I could work on that. Um, and then, yeah, sometimes this, uh, like uh, by doing four or five songs, it'll inspire another three songs because I figure out what I am writing about. Right. Which is really interesting. I didn't, this new record, which we could talk about. Yeah. I didn't really, it was sort of a grab bag of a few songs and I wrote a few songs based on, uh, knowing that the session was coming up. And then I wrote a few songs after the first bunch of sessions because i realized what would work in with the band we had and everything or or i was writing kind of to the band but i did but they but then i looked back after all this i was like oh all these songs are about death in different ways and they're about my thinking about death and um and i didn't think about that while i was doing the individual songs but somehow i think and so maybe there's like two songs that are consciously written about that, knowing that that's what the theme of the record is. But right, um, yeah. Wait, is that is that focus. the wise blo- is that the wise blood thing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So tell me how that how that came to be. So um, I had met her. Uh, didn't really know her. I did a, sh- a show with her like about a year and a half ago or something, and. Um, I had her on office hours because I was impressed with her musically and we had some mutual friends and sort of during that, that's that process, that interview, I kind of grabbed a guitar and said, you know, we should, you should, you should do one of my songs. And I played her this song that I had been working on that was called fear of death. So <laughs> it was the first clue about what I was talking about. And she sort of just jumped in, sang along and we had a fun little sing along with it. And then I went to go see her in uh, her play. And after the show, this guy, Drew Erickson, 
who plays with her and is an arranger and he's just this I soon find out is like this guy everybody knows and everybody plays with um he was he came up to me at the after party of the show and said hey man I heard you guys talking on this on the on the podcast do 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 you ever want if you ever want to get a session together I'd love to help out and he, I didn't know him, and I thought it was very bold of him to come up and sort of put that out there. And I liked that, and I said, sure, you know, if you could. And he said he played with Natalie, so I knew he, he was – and he was at the after party, so, you know, he knew, he knew, he knew some people. Um, and he – this was Thursday night. The show's Thursday night. We walked over to Natalie, and and, Natalie, and Drew was like, you know, Natalie, do you want to do uh, go in the studio with Tim and do a couple songs? And she said, sure, I'm, I'm around. And he called me the next day and said, okay, I've got, I've got a studio, I've got a band, and can you do Monday and Tuesday? Damn. Uh, <laughs> I, was like, I was like, yeah, man, that's, I can do it. I'm free. Let's, uh, are you sure? You know, he's like, yeah, I got this place, Valentine Studios, which is in North Hollywood, and he's got... Uh, Stella, uh, you'll you'll probably know yeah. who she is. Yeah, Stella, Stella from War Paint, amazing. Yeah. and a couple other people, and uh, and he goes, oh, and the um, the lemon twigs are in town. They want to come by, and I go, okay, well, I better get some songs together, you know, <laughs> like. So I knew I wanted to do that Fear of Death, and I had the, a couple other songs in my demos folder, and I I I think I got about five songs together sent them to natalie and drew and kind of didn't hear very much no kind of like no kind of like um these are great or or why would we do these songs either way everyone's <laughs> everyone's just kind of like great see you monday and it it was like the greatest couple days i show up in this studio is straight it was like it's literally a time capsule of it was a studio in the 60s and 70s that got boarded up and then they opened it back up about 10 years ago um, and started doing sessions there. But it's nothing has changed from the early 70s. So you're walking in and it is like you are back in, you know, 1972. And it was just great big room with the linoleum floors and everything. And uh, everybody showed up, set up their gear, and they had heard the demos. And we just started working on them. And just like the greatest players i mean hard to i was so um yeah i was just like so it's you and stella and natalie and lemon twigs and this guy drew and drew yeah yeah and Holy drew's shit. a drew's a keyboard uh a piano player and so we sat he he he's like here are the lead sheets he had written up like the, the he'd taken my demos and kind of written a rough lead sheets and um I come in there. I go, yeah, this is the song. I'm thinking it sounds like this. It sort of, sort of sounds like this kind of song. And and then it just, just the band starts playing. A couple of takes. Shit, this sounds fucking good. Natalie's there. She's finding her harmonies. And, uh, yeah, it was like I died and gone to heaven. I thought it was like like I was like, dying of cancer. And I, this was my Make-A-Wish Foundation situation, you know. And... So we had this, we had four, after two days, we had four, five songs or something, maybe four songs. Um, We met again on Friday at another studio, just me, Natalie, and Drew to like kind of do some more vocals. We recorded another song at that uh, point, which I 
It was just the three of us. And we had sort of like half a record. So I went off and wrote more songs. And the next time everybody was free, we met up again and did another session, another two or three days, and did some stuff at my house. And we just made this album together. Um, and I, it's by far like the the thing I'm most proud of musically I've ever done. Um, and I'll send you a copy of it. To, Amazing. To to. Yeah. And so I, wait, when's it going to come out? I don't know. <laughs> this is the, <laughs> so the, the frustrating thing is, um, I don't, you know, I sent it to my label, um, early on, like sort of, as, you know, this hat, like I said, it started on a Thursday and ended on a, and you know, we were recording on Monday and we kind of teased it online and, my label was like, what the hell is, what the hell is this? You know, what, what are you up to? And I said, well, I'll tell you, you know, I'll send you some stuff when I have it. And, um, you know, I sent it to them and there was this weird kind of like in, I don't know, silence, you know, protracted silence, uh, that lasted a long time. And the guy I normally do it, he clearly loved it, but there was something else. I don't know what was going on there. And, it kind of just became this weird thing of like, well, if we were going to put this out, it would be like a kind of a record store day one-off kind of thing that I, and it, there was a deadline to it. And I was just like, what are you fucking talking about, man? This is fucking great. Um, but there was just this weird apprehension to it that I didn't, under, and I played it for enough people that I knew it was solid. And um, I didn't like the way it was being talked about and treated so and and i think they understood that and sort of just said well if you want to you know explore other ways of putting it out go for it and um it was it, i mean i guess it's complicated because natalie's on a different label and and it was sort of like what is this how are we going to label this you know what what is this uh, project and all these questions that kind of made it not as fun as it was to make, you know what I mean? Wait, what, lab- what label is Wise Blood on? She's on uh, Sub Pop. Okay. So I mean, it's all. So anyway, I think the good news is there's a there's a label that I don't I don't really know um, the the if when this will air or anything, but it's not official yet. But it, it will come out. We're working on the final mix. It's there's another label that's going to put it out, and um, you know it's. It's. I think we all agree it's my record, and Natalie and the band and everybody are there supporting my songs, and mm-hmm. um, she's all over it singing with me. And so it is kind of. And there is even one song where it's just her singing. It's something we wrote together, but she. We all feel like it's. You know, this is my album, and um, and that works for everybody. So. Um, the other thing about it was like, you know, I could, I could think about putting it out and the value that a label has and all these things and how do I want to put it out. The the challenge or the, the thing that's interesting to me is I could put this on my Twitter feed or I could put it on a podcast. I could put the record out and my fans, the fans of mine that like my music are going to like it and are going to be proud of me and, you know, and but... I think there's an audience for this record and for my music that doesn't know who I am and doesn't care about my comedy or might not, it doesn't factor into it. You know what I mean? It's not really, it's just, they're just songs. And uh, these are songs that I think a certain, there's a, there's a, a whole demographic of people out there that's just not getting 
just not getting it uh, into their feeds. They're not getting it into their their whatever they're exposed to. You know, like this work from home song that's that I put out a few years ago has found a different audience because of the you know the situation we're in right now. And I don't think anyone gives a shit that it's from a comedian or or th- that doesn't really matter. You know. Yeah, I mean, it almost makes you want to release the the thing anonymously or something just to see if people yeah. there's songs on this new thing that i'm just like god this this is uh this is gonna very you know be very surprising i think for people um and i think you know friends that have heard it have told me that They're like jesus christ man where did this shit come from so yeah it's awesome it's also just exciting to hear a story about people following through on an idea they suggested you know like like executing because so often people just don't do what they say they're going to do so like the spirit of being swept up and like wow we're actually doing this good idea that's like that's such good energy on a thing yeah and i i give so much credit to drew and natalie and you know natalie like the friday after our session we met and did this other song and did some some little pre-mixing on the record it was the day her titanic rising came out it was that day and so she was just like this is a very important, exciting, you know, it's a very like momentous day for me and an important day kind of. And, and she had just worked so hard and was, was about to be working so hard throughout that year on, on promoting that record and playing shows. And it was like this moment for her that was really exciting for me to be around. But also I felt like, God, thank you so much for coming and doing these sessions and, you know, being a part of this little project that I'm really excited about and it wouldn't it kind of went both ways because all those musician musicians the lemon twigs and Stella and they're they're like they were fans of mine for years and they grew up some of them grew up watching me on tv so I think there was um a little bit of a mutual you know everybody was kind of enjoying doing something a little different but yeah I'll send you the record I'm curious please, to hear yeah please think. do I'm stoked to hear it I just think like it's great when people come together to make something that's a good idea without knowing what it's going to be, what they're going to do with it. And, yeah. and I hope that, that, uh, especially in this weird time when like the traditional channels of campaigns for things have been upended. I hope that like the people with the purse strings, um, to uh, creative capital and stuff like that can support things that are a good idea from proven talents and not be overthinking about it, you know? Yeah. I think there is this tendency to try to like plan and plot how this is going to work and then and see if you could game the the world or game sort of the the public like how are we going to perfectly release this thing and it's like it's so impossible to know what's going to work and what's not just you know put it out try not to you know lose your shirt by putting it out and hope hope it connects with people in some way. Thank you so much, Tim, for doing this. It's been awesome talking to you about this shit. Yeah, you too. Yeah, send me a note about what you think of the record. I'll send it your way in a little bit. Talk to you later. Later. Bye. Okay, so yeah, after the interview, Tim did send me the album, and it's awesome. It's got a really sweet 70s country folk vibe, and I can't wait till it comes out. I'll check in with him for updates on that and pass it along. And thanks again. Uh, to Tim for hanging virtually with me. And also just want to take a moment to uh, reiterate how much I appreciate 
Greta Morgan of Springtime Carnivore, who composed and recorded the LSQ theme song that you hear returning in the background. That means it's the end of this episode. Thanks so much to you for pressing play and subscribe, Cebu Play. Also, the next episode features an interview with the artist Empress of, real name Laura Lee Rodriguez. I'm looking forward to sharing that in a few weeks. And reach me with feedback and questions, etc., on Twitter at JennyLSQ. Thank you.